Welcome to Broadcasting Common Ground, the Deep Foundation Institute's podcast channel. In this series, Morgan's Mentors, Morgan Neesmith will be talking with industry representatives about career challenges, mentor, and mentee advice. Welcome to the EFI's podcast channel, Broadcasting Common Ground. I am Morgan Neesmith, and as usual around here, it is time to move the needle with our show about mentorship and careers in the geotechnical engineering world. Now, one of the topics that we always like to touch on as we look at the range of options for engineering professionals is business ownership. And to that end, Ben Stroyer of the Ideal Group has been nice enough to join us. Ben is a co-founder and has been the CEO of the Ideal Group and Ideal Foundation Systems for over 30 years. Ben, thank you very much for joining us today. My pleasure, Morgan. It's really nice to see you again. It's great to see you. I appreciate it. And I'm, as we've talked about, I know you very well, but uh, for our uh, listening and viewing audience, if you wouldn't mind telling us about a little bit about your background, uh, particularly uh, where you're from and, and your history, starting out with your father's construction firm prior to starting your own company. Yeah, sure. So uh, just a slight correction on, uh, I was CEO, but I turned that over to my eldest son last year. So Jay has been responsible for a lot of the company growth over the last years, and he's now the CEO and I'm a managing director. Awesome. So, yes. So, I mean, I started in uh, my father's business when I was a teenager. Uh, He was in construction, but he was never a businessman, right? He was was one of those um, distinguished tradesmen. He was an absolute perfectionist in everything he did um, and the way he handled people as well was with the same distinction. And so I came up under that influence and I learned learned construction that way, um, mostly residential high-end renovations and then building homes from the ground up. And my brothers and my father, we would literally... On some of these homes, we would literally pour the footings, lay the blocks all the way to the roof. So so we knew that construction inside and out. And then I got into some commercial construction with them. And then from there, um, I I couldn't see a path forward in, in the line that we were in that was scalable to build a larger business. So that's that's when I decided to go out on my own. So I know I had uh, sent you some of these questions beforehand, but I'd like to sort of flip the question because I think what you just said ties into one of the questions that I wanted to ask you, which is, you you touched on it as you're in this process though, can you talk a little bit more about how you and your brother get to the point of saying, uh, okay, I think this is the business we'd like to start and here's how we're going to start it, and it's time to do it now. Sure. Let's go. So I think I was only about 23 at the time. We're at the bottom end. My brother Art and I are at the bottom end of an 11-kid family, so my dad was getting older, and he so he was he was kind and, and turned the original company over to us. And So this is in upstate New York, Rochester, New York. I'm not sure if you knew that. So when he turned the business 
over to us that gave us a date as a couple of kids. It gave us a start date of his father and he starting the business in 1954. So when we decided to start the business, um, I don't think it was an aha moment. I think we just kind of toiled over the fact that everybody that uh, needed work done wanted us to be there doing it. And it just didn't feel scalable. You could only work so many hours in a day. And so with that, we we looked at going into uh, waterproofing and foundation repair, which we did. And then it quickly evolved into um, innovating new products, which is my forte. And um, so we bought some steel from <clears throat> from our friends in Canada years and years ago and um the guys in alberta the oil field guys you know they were they were building piles for a long time helical piles so we found a, a we found a real need in buffalo new york or more specifically amherst where homes were sinking so we became the premier uh, underpinning company for this upstate new york and then we started developing products and manufacturing them and so we sold off the uh, the remediation company and we we went strictly into manufacturing and design well cool and I, that's an interesting uh part of that story and sort of keeping in the earlier uh days both with your your father's firm and as you started your own firm now with your brother you talk a little bit about, um, as opposed to just the business aspects, this is a podcast about mentorship. So any early influences um, and or mentors, whether they're formal or informal, and how those relationships developed and what you got out of those? I'm not sure if I understand your question exactly, Morgan. Are you asking? So just kind of reframe it, if you could. Like it, it sounds like, say, your father, for example, um, was definitely influential. Um, I also worked for my dad. I'm not sure if you would consider that necessarily a mentorship relationship. Um, but anybody that uh, either you met early on that gave you advice, whether it was business or just general, um, how to go about starting your own business or once you were in business, um, you know, anybody that you sort of look to, to, to be able to get that sort of advice? Well, I'm fortunate to be close to a lot of, a lot of people <clears throat> that go to our Christian church that uh, afford us, um, really good advice. So that's been tremendous for us, um, persons we could trust that, that, uh, shared our core values, right? So my father, as I said, he wasn't a businessman, but he was a distinguished tradesman with extremely high quality and ethical values. And so, you know, I, I like to think that that um, observing him in my formative years has driven all those values into the company that we still run all these years later. And that's that really um, penetrates deep into every area of the business. So then. Um, other persons, I would say, I mean, including yourself, Morgan, um, obviously much later on, but, you know, I can remember you scolding me for saying <laughs> things that weren't accurate about 
AugurCast files. And so you just you you take these um, this advice and you change the way you look at things and do things and keep uh, keep changing changing course and making sure you're you're staying on the right one. So I don't think I can I, I don't think I can uh, name like a like a a lightning bolt moment of it. I think it's just gleaning from many many people um, and and getting guidance to make the right moves and that's important though i think too that that general <laughs> willingness to be open to having those conversations when those opportunities arrive um as important as necessarily a specific person so no i think that's that's great um as we continue to talk about the business ownership aspects um you know i think a lot of people would think they would love to own their own business. It sounds glorious and very freeing, and that's great. But it's not. It's not. <laughs> there are responsibilities, right? And that's what I would love for you to talk about: the moments, you know, that make it worth it versus some of the realities that people need to understand when they're going to get into a venture like this. Right. Yeah. Well, those are uh, very real considerations. It's a great topic, actually. We could probably spend hours on it, but. You know, I forget who wrote the book, the E Myth, but you know, I think I think one of the things, like if you love drilling and you have a passion for drilling, you definitely shouldn't start your own business because you won't be drilling very long if you're going to grow the business, right? Right. <laughs> so, you know, the E Myth kind of it, it kind of goes to the angle of my boss is making all the money and I'm so good at drilling or I'm so good at whatever I do, uh, putting a roof on that I should just be doing this myself. And suddenly everything changes. Right. So, you know, I think to that point, you know, what, not everyone belongs in business, right. You, you, you need to really be honest about that. And I feel somewhat fortunate that, I got enough exposure to uh, some management responsibilities early on in my career that I kind of figured out that at least at that point, I was really good at engineering and needed to not be involved in the money aspect of it. Um, again, I think it can look kind of glamorous and people don't realize the legal issues, the insurance issues, all of the minutia that goes into the business aspects as opposed to just what you think might be fun about the uh about having uh, your particular product or service. One of the things when we go through most of the DFI podcasts, um, as a matter of fact, the way they started were trying to talk to uh, particularly younger engineers about not being afraid of making a mistake. You don't need to know everything. As long as your career is going to go, you're still not ever going to know everything. And so not uh, things not going the way that uh, we originally planned them um, is a topic that we really like to uh, to talk about when we can. Uh, it's where some of our best uh, lessons can come back. So if you're looking back over, you know, the ideal group and from the founding through the growth um, to today, was there a, a time you could talk about where, whether it's a particular market or a product you wanted to uh, to start or a particular project where the initial outcome wasn't what expected and might have been seen as a setback um, but how did you adjust for that? And uh, I guess 
hopefully ultimately it was all okay no i mean everything's gone exactly as planned right <laughs> <laughs> so okay so one thing i think might come to mind is um the Stellcore pile that you're very familiar with, auger grouted displacement pile. <clears throat> so when we first developed that and pat patented it internationally, the idea was that we now had a grouted, we were thinking of it more like, we don't have anything like, uh, you probably remember the pull down pile or one of those. I didn't realize how much I, at the time how much I was over engineering it because it's it's pretty a pretty complicated pile um, from a man, um, manufacturing standpoint. So I was trying to fill this niche to now ideal has a friction pile. Well, what actually came out of that is I was marketing to the wrong people and it did a it did a complete turn once I realized that this was being used in in lieu of um micro piles where the soils were soft and so you know we spent a lot of times spinning our wheels chasing a certain market only to find out that we had all this low-hanging fruit that was available to us in the micro pile market and so that completely changed our business so that that'd be one thing you know is to <clears throat> to uh and really you know that came to light through a, a gentleman that did micropiles and he said hey you know i i think this is where this pile will fit and from there you know he helped us with kind of renaming it or talking about it differently and it completely changed the dynamics of marketing and selling that pile and helping people with it i think that's a great example because i think it would be very easy to stick to your original vision and have some tunnel vision and say now this is where we're going uh, but being open to that and being flexible enough, like you said, to just listen to those people when those opportunities uh, come about. And I think that's a fantastic example. Um, gearing back a little bit more towards our, say, our students or younger audience, um, you've been in a leadership position now for a long time. Uh, it fostered a lot of careers through that uh, the last few decades. Um, when you're looking at someone who is interested in coming into the field, uh, what are the characteristics that you'd like to see from them to become a team member uh, and work with you? Yeah, the, so it, the first things would be a, a positive can-do attitude and humble and hungry. Humble and hungry. You're, you're, you're ready to listen, take direction, uh, modify your your approach when you're asked to, but uh, you have a, a can-do attitude and a positive attitude. That's really what what makes you fit, in at least in our culture. I, I I like that. I was watching someone else's podcast recently, and they were talking about uh, the concept of if you think you can't do something, then you are not going to be able to do it. Uh, just the mental uh, having having that <clears throat> approach of one way or another, we can get this done. Uh, it's just a matter of finding out how it is. I think is so important. So I appreciate you mentioning that. And you have um, to change. Sorry, go on. No, go ahead, please. No, I was just saying, you know, it may require that you change the way you think, which is honestly one of the hardest things as humans for us to do. 
our, our, our minds go to a place automatically. We don't have to tell them to, right? So it, it it's worth it's worth the while to take the time to train or if I could say untrain your mind, right? If you keep thinking a certain way about what you cannot do, you're just giving yourself negative reinforcement all the time and it becomes true, right? Absolutely. So really needs to get reversed. And that's the way we've approached, honestly, every challenge that's come along in our business is we can do this. It's not easy. This is not easy at all, but we can find a way. There is a way. Well, if it was easy, everybody would do it. So that's, well, I appreciate that. And at this time, it's time for us to take a very brief break and then we'll be right back with Ben Stroyer. Hey, students and young professionals. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Morgan's Mentors. DFI is thrilled to have you here. Besides great podcasts like this one, DFI has lots to offer you as you prepare and begin your career in the Deep Foundations construction and geotechnical engineering industry. I'm Teresa Engler, Executive Director of the Deep Foundations Institute, and I'd love for you to get started by becoming a member. Student membership is free and individual membership for young professionals is very affordable. Once you've joined, check out DFI's communities of technical committees, task forces, working groups, and user groups. They're all busy addressing issues affecting Deep Foundation practices and by getting involved with them, you'll build your professional network. Also, be sure to browse the publications and resources pages of DFI.org. You'll find magazine articles, technical papers, research reports, manuals and guidelines, plus videos and career information. Students, don't miss applying for scholarships. Applications are open in the spring and the fall and also participate in our annual paper competition. There's also a competition for young professors and grants for female professionals. We value your involvement as the future industry leaders. Now, back to Morgan. Okay, we're back with Ben Stroyer, the co-founder and former CEO and current managing director of Ideal Group. Uh, ben, before we uh, broke for our sponsors uh, ad, we were talking uh, about innovation and entrepreneurship and I'm really interested if you could expand on that process a little bit where uh, what makes a good entrepreneur being able to see that hole in the market for a product that is currently not being made and then how you visualize that product and all the way through into potentially producing it. All right. So, I mean, I think there's there's potentially a big difference between um, an innovator or an inventor and an entrepreneur, right? So sometimes you get a blend, which I think is is where I was. Um, <clears throat> and I think, you know, I think the thing that allures you into, into building something is you have a vision of something that's scalable, right? And when you, <clears throat> so that you can actually establish and increase an enterprise value. And the excitement of watching that grow. And so when you come up with an idea <clears throat> that you think could be built into um, uh, a patent, perhaps, and built into a product, you got to be really um, 
brutal with yourself in assessing its value. <clears throat> in other words, if I if I saw the need or I thought I saw the need for a, a widget that would help in in the uh, foundation industry. <clears throat> and I get really excited about it and I design it and it, it just works perfectly, right? And then you take it to your your family members and board members and say, look at this cool thing I've got here. And they say, well, that's great, but you can only sell 13 of them. And <laughs> so you're going to waste a lot of time and resource, right? For very little return. So you have to, you have to assess, is this, is this uh, distinguished enough to where um, my client base is going to be impressed with our innovation? It's going to help them. And no, it's not going to be a moneymaker, but everybody agrees that it's just so cool that it's worth doing, right? So those are the, that's kind of the way you have to look at it. And then there's other things like Stellcore where you make thousands upon thousands and they go in the ground and they're gone, right? It's not a, it's a single use. And so I think, you know, I would say to folks, that are 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 looking at a piece of innovation um assess the market be sure that it has something that's going to end in an enter enterprise value and then <clears throat> when you're looking at something another little piece of advice is don't go too radical off of what the market has now right um and, and that's a little hard to explain, but if you if you take it all the way back to the mousetrap market, there's still more of those little snappy mousetraps out of than anything else. And there's been all kinds of goofy little boxes and tunnels and stuff built for catching mice, right? But they're so far off of the norm that people don't easily um, aren't easily moved to change. And and that's true in more things than we want to believe, right? Pete, we're, we're creatures of habit. So if you just make it a little bit better and work your way towards a real transition is the best way actually to get market acceptance. That's interesting. So one of the <laughs> books uh, that I've read in the last couple of years about innovation was The Black Swan. And it talks about uh, the uh, one of the, real ways that you get the best innovation is by failing a lot. And I don't love the term failure, but when you're developing a product, do you see the that sort of iterative process of going through and a number of cycles where you've got a general idea, but then the first uh, sort of prototype or idea, even on paper, doesn't really work the way you thought, and then you go back and refine it. Is there something to that, or do you have sort of a different take on that? No, that's that's exactly exactly the reality. And I don't think of it as failure. <clears throat> I just think of it as one more stepping stone towards the perfect product that I had in my mind to begin with. And so you just treat it like it, it's just a another stepping stone towards the final product. And the, and they're necessary. You know how often how often would you design a product that worked exactly the way you wanted to right out of the gate, right? Right. Um, no, I think that's great. And that's sort of the, the way that I understood what this author had been trying to say as well. Um, one of the, the other topics that we did also touched on um, before we went to break was uh, what you'd like to see from younger engineers when you bring them on board to be part of your team. 
Uh, on the flip side, uh, if you could give advice to younger engineers about what it's reasonable for them to expect or what they should be looking term for in terms of, I don't want to say working conditions, but it doesn't even have to be a formal training process. But in terms of fostering their growth and leadership, what would you advise them to look at when they're looking at these firms that they, they might have the opportunity to go to work for? I think what I would look for is is the type of leadership that's that's also shows some level of humility humility right um i i think where you have that and you have a disposition a good le a good leader should provide a, a clear pathway for growth and development with anyone that's being hired so they should see <clears throat> that uh the, and and of course you have to have the company that that imbibes these values right but you know if you're going to develop a good company you really need to to show the people that are coming into it that we don't have time for politics we're really just we're trying to get a job done and and your leader your manager would love to work himself out of his job because he will only go up if he's developing people under him that are so good he's going to find his way into the next level right so every good leader should be providing a clear pathway for growth and a willing to a willingness to invest and share not hold back information sharing i, I don't know if you've ever seen uh, covey's speed of trust but where you have that where you have that uh, implicit trust between members in a team the the speed to which you can get things done is just incredible and so you develop that and that's that's what I would look for is that kind of an environment where there's there's an openness and transparency and um, and so coming into a company you have this possibility of moving up in the company without any fear of politics or problems of that nature and to provide a best-in-class team performance um, kind of uh, excitement and and, and uh, atmosphere that's just fun to be in, you know, it's a, just a great place to be. It doesn't feel a lot like work actually when you're there and you're just working at stuff together and and uh, everybody's going in the same direction. You're free to be open and talk about problems without fear of any repercussion that's that's an amazing environment that's what i would look for i think that's great and it reminds <laughs> me of when i was a teenager in my first job uh one of the uh one of my first supervisors told me that they wanted to work with people that wanted their job and they didn't mean it in a just make it ambition way but it, basically exactly what you've been describing uh, about yeah. that interest and uh wanting to grow and providing that opportunity for them as well yeah absolutely so to wrap all of this up ben we again we really appreciate it but before we go one last question that we we always ask everyone uh if you could give me advice and uh, offer up anyone that you would like to see uh living or not i guess in that sense it's it's not very practical if they're not living but that uh, would be really a, a great person to have on the podcast. Who would that be, and, and why would you think so? Yeah, that that was a tough one for me. Honestly, there's tons of people I'd love to hear speak about all different subjects, right? But because you know, you've talked about 
uh, engineers and um, and then you know people all different types of people that might work in in this whole arena this whole DFI ar arena I, I think what I would like to see is is someone like uh, like Stephen Covey the seven habits of highly effective people. And the reason I say that is, is that kind of uh, inspiration will affect anyone in any area of business, right? Whether they're a leader, whether they're a manager, an engineer, whatever they are, wherever they are, um, this, this attitude and, um, personal development will benefit you no matter what, right? To be a highly effective person, whether it be in business, family, church, volunteering, there's a certain excitement about a consciousness of being effective and getting things done, being an effective person, no matter what you're doing. And I think you're right. The, as the more we've done this, a lot of the people that I've talked to, when they talk about their mentors, uh, they talk more about what they did for them in very general terms, even if they were also an engineer or in some sort of the business in some way, much more about what they did for their life as opposed to what they did for them technically or taught them. Uh, so I think that's a, a that's a great point. Um, and again, Ben, we really appreciate your time. Um, and for all of you out there listening, watching, we appreciate all of you. Uh, we hope you will join us again for future episodes as we talk to more of Morgan's mentors. And until then, remember that the truth will send a ripple through your body. On behalf of DFI, we hope you enjoyed this episode. The views, information, and opinions expressed during Deep Foundation Institute's podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of DFI. DFI does not verify or take responsibility for the accuracy of the information contained, nor does it warrant that the information contained herein is suitable for any general or specific use. The podcast is available for private, non-commercial use only. Editing, modification, or redistribution of this podcast is prohibited. Thank you for your time. Keep on surviving.